Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Barca Talk is sponsored by Audible. Get a free 30-day Audible trial by going to audibletrial.com slash Talk. Our recommendation this week is My Turn, the autobiography of Johann Cruyff. Written by Cruyff and narrated by William Brand, My Turn tells the story of Cruyff's life both on and off the pitch. To hear a sample and purchase this audiobook, click on the link in the description of this podcast episode. Today on Barca Talk, we're down a goalkeeper for six weeks with Silicon injured. Denny Suarez is off to London to play for Arsenal. Barcelona's women's team brought in a new player and they're winning games. And the first team made a stellar comeback in the Copa del Rey while clawing back a draw against Valencia in La Liga. Hey everybody, welcome to Barca Talk. This is Brian Henderson coming to you from Buffalo, New York. And joining me from Madrid, Spain, as always, is Gabriel Quiroga. Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from another mother. How we doing in Buffalo, man? We're doing bright and shiny. (laughs) (laughs) We had a pretty bad... It's not as bad as the Midwest dealt with, uh, with their polar vortex. But we, uh, we have our own phenomena here in Buffalo called the lake effect. And we had a lake effect storm that came through on Wednesday, and uh, up in the northern part in in Buffalo proper, we uh, we got one of the worst storms that I've had in my time living here. It's only been a few years, but it was a, a lot of snow. Got a lot of snow, and it was very very cold. You know, we're we were dealing with you know four degrees, five degrees. It's really all you need. But uh, <laughs> it was it was cold. It was bleak. And now suddenly this weekend, everything is brightened up. The snow is melting. It's shot up to about 30 plus almost 40 degrees. We're going to hit a high of 50 on Monday. It's not a weather show. But, you know, when you live in Buffalo, that's just part of the conversation. Yeah, that's good. I mean, here in Madrid, it's been pretty, pretty cold. So I would say the coldest uh, February, January that we've had in a while since I've been here. Like when I, I was just telling you earlier off air that I went to a soul concert on Friday night. And since we're having a taxi strikes still here for the last two weeks, you know, after the metros closed, you, you know, you basically have to walk home and the soul concert wasn't that far. Usually it's a pretty nice walk. It's about 15 to 20 minute walk. So it's not bad at all. Yeah. But on Friday night, man, it was like minus four Celsius and I was freezing. I just wanted to get home so quick. <laughs> and yeah, it was just impossible. There's no taxis, no Uber, no Cabify, nothing. And so, yeah, it was, it was a very cold walk home, but like I said, that soul concert was amazing. So that made up for it. But yeah, I mean, it's been cold. And like we've always talked about, I always feel that it feels colder here, even though obviously, you know, you, it's really cold where you are, but just that we always have to be outside longer. So I feel like, you know, since we don't use cars as often here in Madrid, um, it just feels even that much colder. But I'm, I'm, I'm counting down the days 
for Kanye's and Terrassa weather, especially <laughs> in Barcelona. Yeah. Well, it's it's coming and it's not too far off for you or for us. We'll get to talk yeah. about that more a little bit later. But so I'm I'm curious about this taxi strike. This is the first I'm hearing of it. So even the Uber drivers are in on the strike. That's part of it. No, it's it's super complicated. Basically, <laughs> you know, it's just you know, it's just like in the states, right? Like when Uber first came in, the taxis basically were up in arms because of the competition basis, right? And here in Spain, the, basically the kind of general gist of it is to have an Uber license is much easier because it's not a taxi license, right? And also as a taxista, you have to pay more taxes. Yeah, as that so. Madrid is having a difficult time with this. In Barcelona, actually, they have uh, Uber and Cabify have pulled out as in last week. So now it's just taxis, you know? And so instead of trying to make it a level playing field, the taxis have such a stronghold on the city with their union. And obviously it's a big industry. So we'll see what happens here in Madrid. It's been really bad. It's been about two weeks. And and the funny thing is people have noticed that there's been less traffic ah, <laughs> in the city center. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> interesting, yes. <laughs> So that's that's the biggest news here in Madrid and in Spain is the, the taxi strike for sure. Okay. Well, as far as FC Barcelona goes, we have uh, two news items to discuss this week. First up, uh, Jasper Sillison tore a muscle in his right leg at training on Friday. The club says he'll be out for six weeks. And this, of course, is in the wake of an excellent performance in the Copa del Rey quarterfinal where he stopped that penalty that helped the effort of uh, stopping Sevilla from advancing in the tournament. And he will miss the semifinal legs against Real Madrid, which are set to start this Wednesday. That's crazy. He just tore a muscle. I mean, I tore my calf muscle one time, Brian, playing football, and it it killed me for like a year. Yeah. I don't think <laughs> I've know? ever torn a muscle. That, oh, my God. Just to give you an indication of, you know, the level of activity that I engage in <laughs> in my normal life. I, the only thing I've ever torn is a piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I tore my calf about 40% of it, Ooh. and I was out for six months. Like, I had to do rehab. I was on crutches, couldn't walk. My whole leg, because obviously your muscles filled with blood, like my whole left leg was just uh, bruised and battered. I mean, I mean, I know it's not as major as this, but still, I mean, six weeks, I mean, they're superhuman. You know, I know they have rehab 24 hours, and they do everything on the cutting edge, but still, that's, that's incredible. And you know what this also means, Brian, is that Ter Sagan just gets more playing time, which you know, is kind of dangerous, especially in this, I mean, this month is, is going to be crucial, brutal, and long, man. Yeah. And that also does, uh, you know, that creates space on the bench for the FC Barcelona B goalkeeper, Iñaki Pena, to, uh, you know, sit with the big guys. But I don't think he's going to see any playing times, certainly not against Real Madrid in the semifinal of the Copa del Rey and probably not in La Liga either. So Ter Stegen is definitely going to be seeing more minutes. Yeah, I mean, if this injury would have happened before the Sevilla match, maybe he inserts the FC Barcelona B keeper to get that. And then maybe he would have played the Clasico in the Copa del Rey just to get experience, right? But now with this, I mean, as we've seen over the past weekend, the past week that Valverde does want to go for all three competitions, we probably are going to field one of our strongest 11 against Real Madrid. And that obviously means Ter Stegen gets more minutes. Yeah. And well, we're going to talk more about this later when we get into the uh, review of the Sevilla match. But uh, yeah, it looks like we're full guns blazing for the Copa del Rey, especially now that we have a Classico to deal with. But we'll pick up on that more later. Now, the other news item is uh, transfer news. 
this is uh, probably the well, no, the window's closed now, as far as I know. So this is the last uh, bit of business that the club did. And Denny Suarez has moved off to Arsenal on loan. He's joined them for the remainder of the season for a fee of 2.5 million euro. The uh, Evening Standard reported that Barcelona were pushing for a permanent transfer, but Arsenal insisted on the loan deal. And prior to the move, Suarez signed a contract extension with Barcelona into June of 2021, but he will be allowed to leave this summer and Arsenal will have the option to sign him permanently. So that's where we're at. Yeah, so this is interesting, right? Because we kind of had the potential to bring him back, but also, as you stated, I mean, we tried to sell him, which I didn't know. I didn't know that. I, I just thought that we just loaned him and we were looking to the future to see how he does this the rest of the season before we make a decision on him. But, uh, you know, he has, he's going to have chances, you know, to make or break really his career going forward because he is talented. You know, he's definitely talented to be in that Arsenal midfield. So we'll see uh, how Unite Emery does with this uh, midfielder of Denny Suarez. And I, you know, I think he's going to have a good opportunity. I think he'll do well. And as long as he gets the playing time, I think he's going to be one of the top three midfielders that Arsenal have for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, there was already talk of him maybe even starting against Manchester City on Sunday. And we're recording this about an hour before that game starts. And he's not in the starting 11, but he is already on the bench. So he might even see minutes on Sunday. I mean, as we talked about, you know, the players from Barcelona obviously just are really gifted with their technical skills, with the first touch, the passing. And that is a really under you know, underutilized kind of skill set, especially in the Premier League, you know, the Premier League usually wants faster, stronger players. And I think Denis Suarez is going to be kind of a surprise. I, like we talked about in our bonus episode, I think he's going to be more uh, almost in the mold of Cesc Fabregas type with this opportunity, um, you know, a player that Barcelona at the beginning want to uh, have Cesc have more experience before he came back. And I think this could be another kind of uh, template of that. And so we'll see exactly, you know, if he gets the opportunity, I think he'll do great. I mean, I think, especially in Arsenal, that doesn't have a star midfielder right now. Right. And apparently there's a, a good bit of chatter about him amongst Arsenal fans. Um, some of them are saying, who is this guy? What's his deal? Because they don't pay attention to Spanish football, which is fine. They have plenty going on there uh, in England with football. But uh so we, it, it runs the whole spectrum from who is this guy to some people who already like maybe they remember him from when he was at Man City or they just follow Spanish football. So they know a little bit more about him and they say, you know, this could be really good for Arsenal. And, you know, we've talked about the connection between him and Unai Emery. Denny Suarez did play under Emery at Sevilla for, I believe, one year. And they both speak the same language. And uh, as you've noted, Emery is not so great with the Ingles so this might be this might be good. I mean, this is, you know, I'm always, you know, amazed of how the managers in Europe are able to communicate. I mean, we talked about, you know, in the Pep movie, right? <laughs> the Pep documentary, right? How his English, you know, is definitely far and above beyond better than than Unai Emery's, but it's still come across sometimes, you know, as uh, it's a bit much, you know? Right. And, uh, you know, it's difficult, you know, especially in Europe, you have to speak multiple languages to, you know, to communicate with your players. But if he finds that kind of connection with Denny Suarez to someone that can implement his tactics perfectly, man, it could be a really good connection because, you know, they will just follow by example by Denny's, you know, and especially, again, his technical ability is going to be far superior than the other guys on the midfield. I mean, his first touch compared to the other guys is going to be better. And also his ability to pass in small 
uh, tight corners as well. So I'm excited to see what happens. You know, this is a, you know, an opportunity for him and let's see what he can do with it. Yeah. Now I do want to get into this a little bit deeper because we did talk about this transfer last Thursday on our bonus episode for Patreon supporters. And I brought up the point that whether Dennis does return from that loan would, I proposed that it would depend on who our manager is next year because it's still unknown whether Valverde will sign on for another year or not. And while he hasn't shown much interest in playing Denny's, we could get a new manager next year who does. And one of our supporters, Zach, asked, uh, quote, do you think the front office is only loaning players out instead of outright selling them because they know Valverde isn't coming back next year and they're covering their bases? So as I mentioned, this report uh, says that Barcelona wanted to sell him outright, but Arsenal insisted on the loan. So if that is accurate, then it's possible that the tea leaves are pointing to Valverde staying or uh, there's just, you know, there's no guarantee that the next manager would have any more interest in Denny's. And I think in the end, the two things actually are just unrelated. Yeah, I just I think they're kind of unrelated. And I think. I prefer, especially like a, let's say in a player like Denis Suarez or Rafinha, for example, before he was injured, if we would loan them out and still have the rights to continue with their services, I prefer that with those type of players that we're not sure completely. We're still on the fence, you know, but with a player, for example, like Paulinho, which we know it was just a short term fix, then obviously I go for the selling of that and try to get that off the book. So I just think they're unrelated. Again, I think always the board is thinking long term. So they're always looking at the youth, especially recently how we've been signing more. Uh, we've been signing younger players, you know, trying to develop them, you know, like Todibo, for example, Murillo, um, who else? Malcolm, for example. I mean, we're trying to spend um, more efficiently than trying to get these Galacticos that we've kind of been doing the last couple of years. Yeah, but so that's where our conversation was at on Thursday. And I think that Zach did make a good point given where we were on Thursday. But knowing now what we know, yeah, it just seems like the two things don't really have a whole lot to do with each other. And even though Denny's did sign a contract extension with Barcelona, my projection is that he will, he, he'll, he might stay with Arsenal, but either way, I think he's pretty much on his way out of Barcelona. So Barcelona is losing Denny Suarez as an inhabitant, but in 61 days, Barcelona will have two new inhabitants in the form of you and me. That is correct. 61 days and counting three. If you count my wife. Okay, <laughs> three more. Yes, uh, sixty-one days and counting. Yes, I, I cannot wait. Uh, again, I was. Some of my friends in Barcelona have been texting me. When are you coming to visit and so forth? And I said April fifth weekend, buddy. Yeah, April fifth weekend. It's all coming to a head. I also was talking to Max because we're going to be taking the train from Madrid to Barcelona. So we're starting to plan that already. So it's all coming together, buddy. Yeah. And uh, Megan and I are making our plans. We already have our flights set and we're uh, working out some other logistical details like where we're going to stay. But we're also looking at taking a paella cooking class while we're in Barcelona as well. That sounds like a good plan. And that sounds like a good plan. There's a website that I've used in Barcelona a couple of times. I think that it does the same thing, paella cooking class, but they also do um, people host dinners at their house or at a supper club. Ooh. And it's really cool. I forget the website. I'll pass it to you after we, we finish recording. I did it twice in Barcelona and I had really amazing times. You meet uh, interesting people because they just kind of put you together at a dinner and it, it's just a lot of fun. And also the food's amazing. That sounds really fun and cool. Yeah, really looking forward to it. 
Now, looking at the Barcelona women, the women's team has been getting good results lately with a win over Athletic Club Bilbao in the league and advancing in the Copa de la Reina to the semifinals. And now with more on that is Michelle Taylor. 1,300 fans rocked up to the mini Estadio on the 28th of January to watch the game versus Athletic Club Bilbao. Games with the bus club are always tense affairs, and this game was no exception. As usual, Barca had most of the early opportunities, but Lucia Garcia was single-handedly tearing our left-wing defence apart. Time and time again, the 20-year-old Spanish international terrorised Leila Wahabi and Mappy Leon, forcing Sandra Panos to make some big saves to stop the visitors from taking the lead. And so it continued for 40 minutes until a Blaugrana breakthrough courtesy of Liga Martins. Matatora Hon crossed the ball in from the right wing, where it ballooned off a Bilbao defender and landed at Lika's feet. The Dutch woman steered her shot into the net, and we went into the break a goal up. In the 56th minute, Andresa Elvis was subbed in for Tony Dugan. Two minutes later, she sent in a high ball, which Lika Martins headed towards goal, but Bilbao's goalkeeper, Andera Garcia, made a spectacular close-range save to stop the goal. It was one of those times where you think, wow, what a save, only for it to be replaced soon after by the thought, damn it, we didn't score. Tony Dugan's substitution caused a change in the front line positioning. Andresa went to the right wing, Mariana moved inside, and Alexia also moved more central. In the 65th minute, this change brought the reward of a second goal. A fast break down the pitch, Leila Wahabi sent in a perfect low cross from the left wing into the centre where Alexia, who was running into the box, met the ball for the tap-in. Breathe. That second goal took off a lot of pressure, but there were still 25 minutes left in which Athletic Club could come back. However, the clock wound down, and U.S. Cortez made more time-eating subs at 72, 82, and the 88th minute, which were enough to disrupt the flow of the game for the Basque side. As the game ticked into its 92nd minute, Lucia Garcia scored an absolute golazo, which was just reward for her outstanding play, so the game finished in a 2-1 win for Barca. Another three points to keep us in touch with Liga leaders Atleti Madrid, who are three points ahead. Thoughts then turned to the midweek Copa de la Reina quarter-final, the knockout game against Madrid CFF. Sadly, there was no television coverage, so we had to depend on the Barca Femini Twitter account for live updates and watch the game highlights the next day. Lika Martin scored in the 12th minute after great play which involved Tony Dugan taking the ball up to the box, feeding it off to Mata Torajon who crossed into the centre. Andresa Alves dummied the ball, which rolled out to the left where Lika put it into the net. Mata Torahan added a second goal in the 52nd minute and Haida Hamraoui in the 54th, after which Barca went into cruise control and ran out the match with exerting too much extra effort. We're now into the Copa del Reina semi-finals, where our opponent will be either Atleti, Real Sociedad or Sevilla. Viewing the game highlights the next day showed that both Torahan and Hamraoui's goals had come from corner set pieces. I've commented so many times about how Barca is finding it difficult to score from open play, and it's not as if the chances aren't there, it's that the shots are mostly off-target or easy saves. This season, Tony Dugan is playing a mainly sacrificial role in front of goal. She's keeping the central defenders busy, which is creating spaces for others to exploit, but they're wasting opportunities. It must be extremely frustrating for everyone, especially for Tony, who loves to get goals, but is being heavily defended in the deliberate tactical positioning. It's really up to the others to step up and get the ball into the net.
perhaps mindful that goals aren't coming easily and that we have some hellish weeks coming up that are packed with high-pressure games and international breaks, the team signed Nigerian forward Azizat Oshwala on loan for the rest of the season from Chinese club Dalian Guangzhou. Oshwala arrives with a wealth of club experience, as well as senior international appearances with Nigeria's Super Falcons since 2011. Her list of individual awards is long, three times African Women's Footballer of the Year, the first player to receive the BBC's Women Footballer of the Year in 2015, Golden Balls and Golden Boots from African Championships and the FIFA Under-20 World Cup, and top scorer in the Chinese Women's Super League in 2017. The 24-year-old played for Liverpool in 2015 before Arsenal activated her release clause. It was with the Gunners that she played with Vicky Lasada, and she's very happy that she'll be playing with her again at Barca. Oshwala went to China in 2017, and she'll return there once the European season is over. She mentioned that she had spoken to Fabiana, who was back in China after playing last season with Barca. The Brazilian recommended that she take the opportunity to play for the club. So what can Azizat Oshwala bring to Barca? She's fast, damn fast, which may be just what we need as a super sub in tight games or in the more open Champions League matches. It will be interesting to see how she copes with the tighter Spanish defence. It will be different to anything else that she's experienced in England and China. Watching her play in recent years, she has positioning that's very similar to Andresa Alves and former Blaugrana Jenny Omoso. She comes back into midfield a lot to defend, as well as to recover the ball to take back up an attack. She also loves to score goals, and perhaps her presence will be the kick that others in the team need in order to step up their game. Vizca Barca, Ifosa Barca Femini. That was Michelle Taylor. Follow her on Twitter, at Barca Women, for news and commentary on Barcelona's women's team. Now let's talk about the Copa del Rey. This was the second leg of the quarterfinal that they played on Wednesday against Sevilla. We went in down two goals from the first leg where Valverde fielded a uh, secondary 11 for the most part. And, uh, you know, we didn't get good results. And now for the second leg, he just brought out a full force 11, right? The All the, all the standard cast of characters that you expect to see. And it was... As you said, more than a beating. <laughs> Mesca una pelisa, right? Yeah. That's what I said. Yeah, yeah. Six yeah, to I mean, one this... win. So six three aggregate, and we're on to the semifinals against Real Madrid. So we'll we'll talk about that at the tail end. But going back to the beginning of this match, uh, as we discussed, we already we had a strong eleven. We had Silicon in goal, Roberto, Piquet, Longley, Alba, midfield of Busquets, Rakitic, and Arthur, and Killer front three of Coutinho, Suarez, and Messi. I mean, I love it in the notes. You had full force 11. It made me laugh because it reminded me of, uh, I think, one of the Quentin Tarantino movies. I can't remember. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we did definitely come out the strongest here. We hadn't seen this kind of lineup in a while, you know, especially the midfield lining up like this with Coutinho, Suarez, and Messi. And, again, from the lineup when they came out and became public, I knew that, I, you know, I definitely had a confidence, high confidence, and – that we were going to, you know, have the comeback full in effect, especially with our strongest 11. So, you know, like I always say, for a comeback for Barcelona, we always need to get that early goal to get the momentum going. Yeah, and it started off with a penalty, actually. And this was an interesting situation where we talked about this again. Uh, you know, we it, since it happened on Thursday, we talked about it on our Thursday bonus episode. But we discussed the, uh, the righteousness of the uh, penalty call. And, you know, it's one could argue that, 
the referee could have not called it a penalty and that probably went a bit okay. But there are definitely enough, you know, data points, enough circumstances to support the penalty call. It was a decent call. And Messi earned the penalty, or which is to say he was the one who was fouled. And he's normally the penalty taker. And yet he gives it to Coutinho to take. Yeah, that was a great idea because, you know, Messi reading his team, he knew that, you know, lately Coutinho has been a little bit down and out with his confidence and nothing boosts your confidence like an easy PK opportunity, you know, and, you know, Coutinho hit it. It was almost saved. I thought it was not a really great PK, but he was able to convert and you can see automatically just, you know, again, Brian, I'm a body language expert, you know, just how he was so happy to get that kind of office back and also just kind of helped him a little bit more with, you know, helping out the team, you know, because, it started, you know, like we said, early enough to get the momentum going and the crowd involved as well. Yeah. Now, this is something that I wanted to ask you about on Thursday, but I didn't get around to it because I've never taken a penalty kick in a in a match. I've never scored a goal in a match, uh, not a competitive one, maybe just playing around. But so I want your your take on this as someone who was a forward. And I assume that at least for some period of time, you were the penalty taker on at least one of your teams. And so for me as a viewer and just a fan and someone who's never been in that situation and I never played forward, I look at that and I think, okay, it's, it is an easy opportunity. So even if you do convert, does that still give you the same kind of confidence as you, as it would have when you scored in the run of play? Is it essentially equal or does, is there, are there any like brain worms that make you <laughs> that make you think less of that goal because it was a, a penalty kick situation, which generally favors the, the the kicker. No, I mean it's a goal's a goal. You know, right. for me, I, I love the sensation of the ball hitting the net. You know, hearing that sound. So for me, there's no difference. I mean, obviously, if you score a golasso to win the game, then that maybe obviously have a higher like you say, feeling of difference of goals, but still a goal's a goal. And like I said, in this penalty kick, I just really hate going to ground and I know when you're messing you take so many opportunities like you have to vary it up but I'm always the believer because the goalie's always going to dive to the ground usually that you go just like chest high and left or right you know and with Coutinho's you can kind of tell that it was a low confidence penalty kick that he took you know because the way it rolled and Again, I'm just glad it went in because that started the remontada, right? Yeah. That started the comeback. And so it didn't matter how it looked. It, it worked. And again, Messi just masterclass giving Coutinho that opportunity, knowing that it was going to lift his spirits. Yeah, and that actually is – that's one bit of evidence uh, to feed into a discussion that we're going to have in just a couple of minutes. So just a few minutes later, PK gives up a penalty to Sevilla. Everbanega goes to take it, and Sillison saved it. Now, it wasn't necessarily the, the best take, but it was still a save for Sillison. And I, overall, I thought Sillison played really well in this match. Yeah, you know, the thing is, I could have seen the, both of these penalties either called or not called, right? Yeah, they were both on kind of, the line. Yeah, they were both on the line. And I'm kind of glad they both were called because, you know, as as they're starting to call Barca here, they're starting to call them Varsa. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because of all the opportunities that we've had with VAR already. And yes, I mean, it was again, Sillison had a magnificent game with some of the saves he did. But again, I, for some reason, I just have confidence in him with the PKs. Like I, I for whatever reason, the, 
Ever Benega is a good player and he should have hit that a little bit better. I mean, like he hit it chest high, but he didn't hit it hard enough right. And uh, Silzen just made a really great save. And again, as soon as that happened, I said, we got this because that was Sevilla's opportunity to get that away goal where we really would have had to press. And when they, when we made that save or when Silson made that save, I knew I, I just, you know, from then on, I knew we were going to get that remontada. Right. So then about six minutes, six, seven minutes later, Rakitic that gets this uh, this funny looking goal where he gets this great through ball from Arthur. This was a killer through ball and a great moment from Arthur. But Rakitic made this great run in behind the line, and then he just sort of um, he just touches it really, kind of almost with his heel, and it trickles in. The ball trickles into the goal because it, he, the goalkeeper was had been going the other way, so it just trickled in behind him and slowly rolled in for the second goal. And I think. At that point, it really looked like it was on. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the thing is, he just made a a slight redirect. But since he didn't celebrate the goal, it was hard to tell if he just kind of distracted the goalie and didn't touch it or not. And because, you know, obviously Rakitic had played for Sevilla and has his heart in Sevilla. So he didn't want to, you know, celebrate and be, you know, overzealous with that goal. So uh, on the replay, though, it was all really Rakitic and Artur, right? So, you know, Artur found the gap. And I don't know if that's because maybe on film, he's never really had those through balls, but he did have a parting of the Red Sea right there. And he took an opportunity, saw Rakitic come in and Rakitic, you know, He's still not tired, Brian. He was able to. <laughs> he was. He was still able to get enough energy, and it was just a nice little play. That's just like a schoolyard type of play, you know. Where you just make that slight redirect, and it was two zero. Yeah. So then in the second half, that's where it really started opening up. Uh, Sevilla did get one goal in the second half, but that was also when. Barcelona scored four more, including another goal for Coutinho in the 53rd minute where he headed it in off a cross from Suarez. And then just a minute later, Sergio Roberto gets a goal with an assist from Messi. But on that play, and so we're going to talk about Sergio Roberto for just a minute. Um, Because as as you know, if you listen to the show regularly, I have this uh, obsession slash crush on Sergio Roberto. So I was very pleased with this this play mainly because uh Messi was out on the touchline on the right side Sergi saw that and he was trying to get it to him he made one attempt it was blocked it fell back to him and he just went for it again this time got it through to Messi and then Messi makes this run into the box this diagonal run meanwhile Sergi is following the play as like the backup and he's just running into space he points Messi gives it to him and he puts it away. And I thought it was it was a great goal and a great play from Sergio Roberto and, of course, from Messi. I mean, these two goals were huge because, you know, they were right after halftime, essentially, you know, and we kept we continued the momentum. We continued the aggression on attacking. Again, the 54th minute with Roberto was an excellent example of primo football. Everyone involved, the passing, the movement, everything like this. And again, this is why I think I prefer Sergio Roberto in midfield, you know, because of these goals that he can be a part of, you know. And again, for the lack of defensive fundamentals for me that he doesn't have, he comes up with these brilliant moments, you know, against PSG, against this, in the Clásico, when he did that amazing run from coast to coast, peanut butter and toast, you know. (laughs) And, uh, you know, again, as soon as the Coutinho goal hit, you can just feel the avalanche coming, right? Because especially when Sevilla got that PK block, because that was, again, an easy kind of opportunity to get level and not and also have an advantage with the away goals. As soon as Silson made that save, you can kind of just see that kind of, 
you know, spirit that they had at the beginning kind of leave. And especially right after halftime, having a back-to-back goals like that, that's really difficult to come back from. Now, there's another good reason that Sergio Roberto might be better placed in the midfield. And it it does sort of undercut my love for him, although my love for him is eternal and will <laughs> never die. But there there is a good reason why... Maybe he's probably better off in the midfield that was brought to our attention. And you told me about this just before we started recording. So why don't you tell the yeah? So I got I got yeah I got a tweet by Donnie Carabastos, and he said, uh, "Please break it to your compadre, that's you, mm-hmm. that Sergio Blue Eyes is a truly horrendous defender." Hashtag rip off the bandaid. <laughs> <laughs> but at least he called him Sergio Blue Eyes. <laughs> he did call him Sergio Blue Eyes. It's a term of endearment. It is a turn of the deer. I mean, again, he has amazing intangibles, you know, just knowing when to go up, when not to, um, his passing ability. I mean, lately, just because he's coming back from injury, his first touch hasn't been that great yet, but it'll come. I know, you know, it'll come. And plus, That's he's, prefer- he's, he came up as a midfielder. Yeah, yeah. Putting him at right back was uh, this strange kind of decision that Luis Enrique made that that essentially gave Sergi his career at Barcelona. Correct. And he's he's turned out to be a really useful utility player. You can put him just about anywhere in the park and he'll be he'll do positive things. He'll do good things for you and he will help the team. Is he a good defender? No. But is he a defensive lockdown fullback? No. He was never meant to be. He's a wingback. And, you know, when he's back in defense, sometimes he uh, doesn't do so well. And I remember that first season. Man, it was... It was tense and disappointing many times when he was when he was back there. He does he he looks a lot more comfortable now than he did two three years ago in that position. Yeah, I'm not I'm not trying to bash him as a player because I think, like you said, that's a great word. He's a utility player, and that's a really hard thing to do to be able to play on the left, the right, up, down, all this type of things because you just have to know, especially tactically, what to do and what your position is supposed to be. I'm just saying again, this goes down to. You know, again, going to Valverde, understanding the team and what to do. It's like, you know, for example, we could really benefit from Sergio Roberto playing with, you know, in place of Rakitic sometimes. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like the connection between hopefully him, Semedo and Dembele could be something really great. And that means that Messi doesn't have to go and get the ball so often because Sergio Roberto knows how to play with Messi. So Messi doesn't have to always leave his opportunities to go to get the ball from Semedo, you know? And that's where I think it's lacking. Now, going back to this, you know, he just has to understand, you know, when he is playing fullback, that the priority is to play defense. And I and I appreciate the other things, but, you know, in the Valencia match last night and in this match too, he just, he always kind of just forgets where his man is and loses track of that. And it's just a really kind of, a mental breakdown that happens. And unfortunately they convert. <laughs> so right. it's like, it's, it's twofold, right? It's not, you know, maybe other defenders get lucky where they don't convert, you know, but it just seems lately when Sergio Roberto loses his man, they convert. Yeah. Well, in terms as a defensive fullback at this point, who do you think does a better job, Sergio Roberto or Samedo? You know, I think Samedo does a little bit, but like by, by minuscule things. But you that's know? also a recent development. That's that's the thing. And and I also know that Tomato is not going to be 
as dynamic as Sergio Roberto going forward. So I, you know, it's like I can sacrifice that again. That's why I would rather just have him in the midfield somehow, you know. But again, as we talked about in many episodes, you know, Semedo still needs to grow into that to be more physical, to be a better defender. Because if he can be a lockdown defender, that's just awesome. But again, I want Sergio Roberto to be more midfield because that's where I think his intangible. So then we don't have to rely so much on him being the last person on defense. Right. And as this year has progressed, like I said, at the beginning of the year, I think Semedo was still a little too green to really be the number one right back or a number one level right back. Whatever you think about uh, Semedo or Sergio Roberto as fullbacks or wingbacks, I think that Sergi did have an edge on Semedo at the beginning of the season. But as we've seen the season progress, Semedo has gotten more starts. He's also subbed in more. He's gotten more minutes and he's getting a lot better on all levels on, you know, in every position that he's playing on the pitch, right? Both defensively, he's gotten stronger. Um, Offensively, he's gotten a little bit stronger. We've started to see a growing uh, chemistry and connection between him and Dembele, which is great. Uh, Of course, Dembele is injured right now, but that's its own issue. So by the end, if that continues, if that trend continues, by the end of this season, I'm hoping that I could feel really good about Semedo being the number one right back, and maybe we could bring someone else in as a backup for him, and then Sergio Roberto could slot into the midfield as a regular feature next year. Yeah, yeah, I agree with all that. And the other thing, too, that Semedo, for me, has a clear advantage over Sergio Roberto's speed. Right. And that is something, you know, for... As a defender, if Semedo makes a mistake, he can kind of make up for it because he's so fast, right? And get back into play. Whereas Sergio Roberto, you know, speed is not his thing. And as a last defender, as a left right back there, you know, if he gets burned, you know that <laughs> the opportunity is going to happen for the other team. You know, it just happens. So, like you said, Semedo has developed into a better player, more chemistry. So I like that. Again, it's just, you know, as you said, it's kind of it became an emergency situation when Sergio Roberto got plugged in and made his career. And if I had to pick now, I think I just would want the speed of Semedo just as an emergency backup rather than, unfortunately, the intangibles of, of Sergio Roberto. Because if we can prevent the other team from scoring, we're going to win most of those games. Right. And the only thing about it is, you know, Valverde, he, he has his favorites and... Semedo, I think, is growing in Valverde's estimation, but, you know, he's still going to he's going to look to Sergio Roberto first. But in any case, uh, we'll see how that develops. Now, in this going back to this Copa del Rey match, the last two goals were both. I mean, all six of them were were pretty, pretty good. But the last two, especially from Suarez in the 89th minute on the counterattack where Alba released Messi and then in the 92nd minute where Messi scored the sixth goal. I made a notation on both of those that those were both primo football. Yeah, I mean, I would say this game so far has been the premiest football <laughs> game that we've <laughs> of all the goals. For me, the last goal was the best one because of the involvement of everyone, especially with PK, Suarez, Alba, you know, it was just everyone touching it essentially. And PK being the crucial pass that sprung, you know, um, being up there and, of course, Messi finishing. I mean, again, you know, after we went up four, you can just see that Sevilla kind of conceded, especially with the substitutions that they picked. Remember, as we um, as we noted, uh, the 18-year-old for Sevilla that came in a foot race with Messi 
and Messi was able to beat him. Yeah. Um, with those substitutions that Sevilla made, you can see that it kind of conceded. And of course, we continued to pounce on those opportunities. We could have gone, we could have scored another three goals as well because, you know, Sevilla was kind of loose on defense and we were kind of taking advantage. Harlem Globetrotters street style, you know, just trying to, <laughs> you know, cue that music, you know, the Harlem Globetrotter music, you know, we were going passing, swinging. So it looked like it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, they can kind of get that joy back because Brian, I'm, I'm nervous and I'm, I'm kind of apprehensive about this upcoming month because I'm just not sure if we wasted so much energy already in this first match going forward for the rest of the, ma- of the month. Yeah. Well, and now the, the question arises, because as the draw came down, we're playing two Clásicos for the semifinal legs. And if there's one thing that we're not going to let up on, <laughs> regardless of the tournament, it's a game against Real Madrid. Yeah. And we also have two Clásicos back-to-back in the Bernabeu at the end of the month. That's the other thing that's never happened before. Copa del Rey, end of February, and then the March 3rd match uh, in the Bernabeu. Just regular yeah, so, La Liga match. Yeah, regular La Liga, but they're still Clásicos, and it's never happened. We have to... They may just stay in Madrid <laughs> because it's a Thursday, Saturday night game. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's going to be tough. Correct. It's going to be tough for both of them, though. So yeah, who has yeah. more depth? Who has more ingenuity in the managerial side? Who has, I don't know, better physios? Yeah, exactly. It's going to come down to things like that. Yeah, it's just using the whole bench because, you know, along with the classical at the this coming week – we have Athletic Bilbao in La Liga. We have Lyon Champions League, and then another back-to-back Clásicos. So this, like, as we as we've lead, led up to this whole season, and as we've you know yelled about this season, it's going to really come down to the substitution pattern, the pattern management pattern that Valverde has. Hopefully, he learned something from last season because this month is crucial for everything. Well, what happened in the quarterfinals? And even the round of 16 in the Copa del Rey was first leg Valverde plays almost an entirely secondary squad, you know, substitutes, B team players. And then in the second leg, he brings out some bigger guns. Now, that did allow those bigger guns some rest in the first leg. And he did the same thing in the Sevilla tie. So that did save some overall minutes. Is that going to... Is that going to pay dividends come the end of March or the end of February, beginning of March? Excuse me. Short answer, no. Right. Because I think that just was it's so far away now. Right. You know, that was like two weeks ago. Now, it seems like. And the thing is, it, it started against Sevilla. That's when it started the race, right? The marathon for for February, because you could see the substitution pattern that he did in, um, on last night's match against Valencia. And now with the short turnaround again for this week, it's going to be interesting how he uses. Again, he has to use the bench. He has to use, for example, as we just talked about, Sergio Roberto in midfield. And the other thing, too, is we are thin at left and right back. Yes. We cannot afford any injuries. And that's the other thing is that Jordi Alba is going to miss the next La Liga match. So does he put Vermal in there? Does he put Sergio Roberto? Again, having lack of left and right backs is going to be crucial in this month as well. Yeah. Now, finally, talking about uh, this match is uh, something is a topic that we brought up a number of episodes back um, several weeks, I believe. And the basic question was, is Messi a good captain? And it seems like, you know, Messi is always up for a challenge. He always wants to challenge himself in new ways. And I think that becoming 
a like the first choice captain was a new challenge for him this year. And well, you and I both think, I believe, that he's really accepted that challenge and done what he does with everything, which is get better. (laughs) (laughs) That's just just what he does. Like, it's so funny how, you know, maybe he's not as fast as he was when he was younger, but it seems like he's a better player. I mean, this is the thing is that we talked about that in the summertime because remember we were, you know, talking when this happened, he became more of a, a, a stronger captain than I think he was number two last season. Right. And we were kind of always been talking about this again. He's always led by example. So that was never the question. But again, when we talked about the Roma match, the famous Roma match, we needed fire and brimstone yeah. from Messi. And we did not get that. Right. You know? And so that's where I came in. I said, you know, in that situation, if we would have had a Puyol type of personality as a captain, maybe it would, you know, someone to slap us a little bit to wake us up, you know, get back into that match. Maybe it could have been a different outcome. Now, what I've noticed, because just from the last couple of weeks, is especially with Messi talking about being competitive in all competitions, just voicing that, in the beginning of the season, talking about going for the triplete, right, going for the Champions League and really going after that, and then also his emotion scoring the tired game last night in Valencia, I think more and more he's adapted and become more vocal than he has at the beginning of the season. And you can just see now he's he's letting his personality even come out even more, right? And now the players are even coming more to him. So now, Brian, I definitely think he's a much better captain than he was at the beginning of the season. Yeah, and you know, the, you, there are some things, some really concrete things that you can cite in this Copa del Rey match that point to this, such as giving Coutinho the penalty kick. Exactly. That's, I mean, again, that is such masterclass of understanding the team chemistry and what will eventually help us. Because again, we need Coutinho to be productive to get through this month and to get through the rest of the season to achieve our goals. And again, to give that opportunity to Coutinho, knowing that he scores, it's going to help our team. And again, he had another goal in the, in that match with a great header and he looked a little bit more alive last night in Valencia. He was having more of those passing and you can kind of just see that coming out. Now we'll talk about more of his performance coming up, but again, I just think it's great to see his evolution because again, Messi's always been very quiet and he's always let his, stats and his play speak for himself but now it's becoming more a vocal leader and lately he's been doing more interviews after the match as well so that's another new thing for him yeah that's very new yeah and that like you said that emotion that he showed when he scored against valencia that was another sort of concrete thing that you could point to but we'll pick up on that in just a minute and we'll talk about the valencia match in la liga we asked one of our listeners zach in cincinnati what he likes about barca talk the fact that you guys tie in a lot of the Peñas in the U.S. and it almost feels like my own little Peña that I'm a part of because there isn't a lot of that culture in Cincinnati. You don't really hear about the U.S. side of it a lot. And he's not just a listener, but he is a monthly supporter through Patreon. The reason that I started to do the Patreon was when you guys wanted to send the kids to the Barcelona camp. That was something that I thought was really cool, something that I can get behind. Patreon supporters are the primary source of support for this free podcast. 
But as a supporter, you get more than just the podcast. I do like having the little sneak preview podcast early in the week. Really, it's just kind of feeling that collective membership of being part of this own little pena. Bonus episodes, commercial-free episodes of the regular podcast, and Barca Talk merchandise. These are the benefits of supporting Barca Talk. Check out the premiums you get with a monthly contribution at Patreon. Just follow the link in the notes for this episode. All right, now let's close out this episode talking about the Valencia game in La Liga. This was match day 22, and the result was a 2-2 draw. And the, the lineup was solid all the way through. And But picking up again on the things that Messi did in this match to to show that he's he's been improving as a captain it, you know he's been adding to his his sort of toolbox as a captain yeah i mean again this match he was all over the place right i mean he it's funny how we talked about valencia not being as strong as they were last season coming into this match but boy they didn't look like it at the beginning and again our lineup was pretty strong you know i really liked that Elenia was in the midfield. I thought that was really good because, as we talked about, he is someone that could take someone one-on-one and make an attacking play. So I was really happy with this lineup and also interchanging Vermaelen for a long leg to give him some some rest as well. So I thought that was a, a really good you know lineup for us. And, you know, again, Messi was all over the place. He really, especially since we went down 2 nothing early, he really grabbed us. And saved us these points. Yeah, and now, and they did come out real hard, and it could have been worse than it was because Valencia didn't score until the twenty fourth minute. But Ter Stegen had to make two saves in the opening two minutes. Again, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, we're at home, we were a little bit relaxed, you know, and we weren't really sure how they were going to come out, and they came out right out the gate. And I knew, I, I remember I tweeted, I said, oh God, it's going to be one of these games <laughs> <laughs> where it's just going to be like nonstop action. And sure enough, you know, again, Rodrigo played out of his mind in this game, right? Yeah, I mean, he, he was really, did. really good. He was really good in this game. And also Chirstev, like that guy used to be the joke for Real Madrid, but he came out and played really well. So did Danny Parejo. I mean, they didn't look like they had a Copa del Rey match this season. They look really fresh. And they had a really good game plan, and Marcelino implemented it brilliantly. Yeah. Now, you have a note here about how Sergio Roberto has been awful the past couple of games on defense, allowing people to run by him. You know, it's funny. It's like when you, in basketball, when they teach you fundamentals of rebounding, they, you know, they call it boxing out, where you get in front of the person, you feel them out, and you push them back to make sure that they don't jump over you, they get around you by using your back to feel where the defender is, right? It's kind of the same idea in this defending because a lot of times when he's running back, he always loses track of his defender. And if you notice, for example, it happens more in transition than it does in just normal defense. And that's where it happens, where if we have a turnover or if they're coming three versus three, essentially in this goal, Sergio Reto loses track of his defender and he thinks that it's going to get covered by the center backs, and sometimes it doesn't. So it's almost like communication. And it's also just being fundamental, just having your head more on a swivel to see where the defender is. Because a lot of times, Sergio Roberto thinks he's going left, and he'll cut in on the right and get a free shot. So it's just <laughs> really yeah. those things, you know? And again, it's mainly in transition. But unfortunately, it's happened on Sergio Roberto's watch, 
where he makes his mistakes and they convert. So it's just even more glaring than usual. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. You, uh, as you describe that exact scenario, I seem to recall seeing that a few times in this, in this game. <laughs> now, uh, you, you also mentioned uh, how we are really thin on both left and right back. And we've seen Valverde try to deal with this in a couple of different ways so far this year, including playing Juan Miranda, bringing him up from the B team. Uh, there was also that disastrous uh, decision to play Vermalen at left back to give Jordi Alba a break. And what we've been seeing, I think, a couple of times now in the past few weeks is putting Sergio Roberto and Semedo on at the same time. So that's what he did in this one. He put Semedo at right back and Sergio at left back. So what do you think about this solution, this most recent solution by Valverde? I mean, you got to do it because it's a band-aid for, for the game, you know, because this goes back to not projecting and having a good you know, left or right back depth. You know, for example, when we were before we recorded, I wanted to look at Todibo because I thought for for some reason that he was a left back, but he is not. Uh-huh. He's a center back. You know, so we have really good center back depth, which is great. But you know, Valverde is going to have to experiment with Sergio Roberto, Semedo, and Alba mixing those three around. We need one more because poor Semedo is going to run out of gas and his speed. It's not going to be as quick and as fast as it normally is when he's fresh. Now, you know, again, this month is crucial with our defense, especially with all these matches. He's got to find really good, strong center back pairings. Now, obviously, our strongest 11 is going to be our strongest center back pairing is going to be PK Lale. But with all these matches, we got to mix and match and find a good connection that's not only going to be strong defensively, but also link passing to the midfield. Right. And, you know, one thing that I was as I think about it now, that really disappointed me about this recent transfer window is we brought in Murillo, which was good uh, to give us more center back depth because, you know, we lost Umtiti. He's been sidelined with this, uh, you know, nagging injury and they still don't want to give him surgery. So Umtiti's out for an indefinite period of time. So it was good that they brought in Murillo to bulk up the, uh, the center back options, but we didn't bring in anyone for left or right back either. Which is, which is really bad planning because just anyone serviceable would be fine, you know, just to give some minutes. Because as you can see, having Sergio Roberto on the left is a liability more than it is on the right. At least on the right, he's comfortable with his spacing, his awareness on that right side. But putting him on his left, you know, it's difficult, man. It's super difficult. It's asking him a lot. And as you can see last night, they picked on him. Yeah, and I would do I would do the same thing if I were playing against FC Barcelona. I see the team sheet that Sergio Roberto's on left back. I'd be like, "All right, we're going to overload that side, and we're just going to have Rodrigo come through the center and see what take our chances." Yeah, and I mean, it was it was one thing to let Dina go to Everton at the beginning of the season, and maybe you know go through the first part of the year with just Jordi Alba at left back and no proper backup for him. That's one thing. But then to also, you know, still not really fortify that position and bring in a a proper backup for Jordi on the left. That's it's really proving to be problematic. Yeah, that's that's a great point, because, you know, who would you rather have Lucas Digne last night or Sergio Roberto? Digne easily. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because even though he doesn't he doesn't bring the intangibles like Sergio Roberto, he's a better defender because he knows the space, his experience and so forth. And for one match, it's fine, especially in this La Liga. And maybe you put Sergio Roberto as we always say as that substitute to change everything around, you know, as he brings in sometimes in those matches. Again, I having the arrogance again to say that we don't need a, a left back or right back depth is is crazy. 
crazy. Well, arrogance is, itself is crazy, and it is an arrogant yeah. move. On the other hand, for you know, for Dina, he's played twenty games for Everton this year. He's played almost nineteen hundred minutes, so he's he's playing. So that's nice for him. It is nice for him. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been good to have him here, though. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, there's also uh, something else that came became clear in this match, which is how we don't have a lot of attacking balance, particularly on the right side. And you've been you've been harping away at the the lack of balance on the right side pretty much all year long. I mean, again, the thing is, it all starts with Messi, right? Messi is his own amoeba, right? So he's going to go left, right, up, down, right? So knowing that, you need to have balance still on the right side. Obviously, we're missing Dembele through injury, but it's even more noticeable lately because Messi continues to go left. And last night, Danny Parejo, he had like an amazing match last night for me. He was awesome. He defended Messi brilliantly. Like that's what I would do to defend Messi. I would always, as like in basketball defense, shade him to go right, because everyone knows he's going to go left, even though he can still beat you left. But if you put your whole body like Parejo did, he he stole the ball many times last night, more than the average defender does against Messi. And he baited Messi to go right, and Messi still didn't go right, you know, or through the middle. There was a couple times where I was just, of course, I was screaming to myself. I was just like, go right, this is one time. <laughs> go right, you know, because basically they had three guys around him shading the middle and for him to go left, you know, so they had it covered, but the right side. And especially if he would have taken a shot from outside the box with his right foot, that opens up another, you know, another opportunity that Valencia had to adjust. Now Valencia and Marcelino did a great job on tactically, you know, kind of limiting Messi. And even though they did that, Messi still scored two goals. So So it's crazy, but I have a question for you, Brian. Mm -hmm. You know, with Coutinho's, you know, getting more playing time in Dembele, I think one of the issues that I'm seeing, too, is that Coutinho always wants to come in right. You know, he wants to come inside the middle. And I think with Messi always trying to come in the middle, that creates traffic. Right. Right. And so when Dembele plays on the left wing, he's always going to the end line rather than always to the middle. So it seems as Dembele has better chemistry with Suarez and Messi because he's not trying to crowd the middle. So I don't know if Coutinho has to continue to go exploit more the end line like Dembele as opposed to going to the middle to create traffic. And I think that's where the lack of chemistry between him and Messi might be coming. You're absolutely right. And the few times when Coutinho does, he looks very uncomfortable doing it. So it's understandable why he would want to maybe go more in the middle and sort of come into the box almost at a diagonal or from you know the top of the box, work his way in around the arc and then into the box. But yeah, you're right. That creates just a lot of traffic. Everything is too centralized and it becomes easier to defend and it becomes harder for them to move the ball with each other. Yeah, because, you know, most of our really great opportunities come from Alba, right? Streaking down that thing. Now, if we overload that side, just like Valencia did to Sergio Roberto, we take that kind of philosophy and we overload their left back with Coutinho and Alba. Then all of a sudden, Messi gets a little bit more space it strings out the Valencia defense a little bit. But there was a lot of times where, I don't know if you noticed, Messi would get the ball. He was surrounded by two guys at least. He would pass it to Coutinho. He would come back in the middle. And then they just really didn't have any options, right? And they would just have to pass back to reset. So, again, maybe that's part of the issue is that Coutinho is so used to cutting in. And Messi, you know, obviously he's an amoeba, so he's going to be everywhere. And every time Coutinho wants to take a shot, he sees Messi. Right. And so he's kind of he's kind of torn of okay, I have to pass the messy or if I have to take a shot. Yeah, exactly. No, that's a good point. 
Now let's talk about Ter Stegen in this match because, like I mentioned, he had to make two saves in the first two minutes. They were both uh, not terribly challenging, but, you know, challenging enough. And it was good that he was there for us. And, of course, he, he, got, he got beaten on the penalty, but it's a penalty kick. It's a situation that generally favors the taker. So I don't really worry when goalkeepers get scored on, on penalties. Uh, I mean, it's a bummer that the penalty got called at all, but... You know, I don't blame Ter Stegen for them scoring. But then in the 60th minute, this was, I think, a brilliant moment for it. Just one of those moments that showed his his brilliance because he comes out of the box right after Vermalen gets nutmegged by Rodrigo and he managed to save the game from going to 3-1. Again, Ter Stegen, man. If only he was Spanish and playing for Manchester United, he'd just get Everyone more. would be talking about him. I know. I mean, he is... <laughs> Again, his his passing, first of all, you know, his ability to pass and move the point of attack, you know, not the point of attack, but the point of where we're going to start the attack, you know, from the back is very underrated. He does it so smoothly. But on top of those things, he is an exceptional shot stopper, right? I mean, he makes these saves look really easy. And again, he gets better. I mean, when I think of goalkeepers and when he's in the match, I have no worries anymore. I mean, remember how we talked about, you know, at the beginning of his career, he had some iffy moments and you're kind of unsure how he's going to do. Now he's rock solid. You have no worries about it. No worries. Yeah. And I mean, I just think he, he keeps working on his footwork, uh, which everything I've read about goalkeeping is how important footwork is. And it's the kind of thing that just comes with years of experience. But now that p- goalkeepers and goalkeeping coaches are you know more aware of how important it is. I think they drill it more, particularly in the German camp. So he he has just incredible footwork and his decision-making process as far as when to come out, how to come out. It just keeps getting better. He's just becoming even more intelligent as a goalkeeper. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, you know, the other the other last thing I think is is when he becomes the official German number one, you know, for, for the next 10 years. I think that'll really solidify his place as one of the top goalkeepers in the world and again he is so rock solid and you know he just keeps getting those caps and I really I'm so you know I really enjoy watching him play because he is such a underrated goalkeeper for us especially his ability to move the ball with his feet so again and he he's going to become one of the captains oh yeah maybe next year no definitely that's that's in the cards for sure uh now there was another issue that sort of asserted itself in this match, which is the question of concussion protocols, because both Gamero and Piquet uh, took some head injuries. Piquet was bleeding. Gamero was bleeding. And did they handle that correctly? The answer is no. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they basically put water on their heads. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's really what they did. I mean, uh, I was watching the sports show today and Gamero has a huge knot on his eye, like his eyes, black and blue. And again, PK, they stapled his head, essentially. They had to staple the wound shut. For me now, especially knowing with the NFL and just my previous studies in kinesiology and so forth, it's like it's like one of those things where it's taboo, right? Like if you hit your head on a header like that, you just shake it off, right? But obviously, they should have some sort of concussion protocols because you could see Gamero, like two minutes later, he fell. Yeah. And that's really scary. You know, it's one of those things here in Spain that's they don't even look at it as, you know, they just say, oh, you're weak as opposed to let's take a look. Let's do the testing and let's see, you know, and this happened in another game that I was watching uh, after the Barcelona game. I can't remember. Who, and someone also had a concussion protocol. And the same thing happened where they basically, you know, watered his head 
he got up to play again and three minutes later he fell. Mm. You know, this is scary stuff because if you get another concussion in the same match, it can really do lasting effects on you. So again, you know, for PK, you know, especially what's going to happen, you know, if he did get a concussion, is he going to be out for the next week or so, especially with this month? You've got to manage these injuries. And especially La Liga has to do a better job with these concussion protocols. Yeah, well, it's just one of those La Liga things, right? There are just so many aspects of the modern game and the modern, uh, let's say, marketing aspect of the game that, for mm-hmm. instance, the Premier League is way ahead on and La Liga, despite all of its quality in terms of football – is just really behind on. Yeah, and this is a really important thing because you're trying to protect your players, which are the keys to your success, you know? And if you're not having these concussion protocols, I mean, you know, when I think of concussion protocols, I think of poor Puyol. I mean, how many did that guy have? Yeah. <laughs> that went unnoticed, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that guy was uh, Tarzan in the air, you know? And he did not give an F about anything, you know? And that's a, you know... That's a really scary thing when you think about how many times he's hit heads with someone, because I don't know if you've done this in football, but for me, that's one of the things I hated going up for headers was always having that just in case I knock heads with someone. I hate that feeling. It's the worst. I've never gone up for a, for a header. (laughs) (laughs) I I cannot impress upon you how little football I've played. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. I mean, when you hit those two heads, it's like the bone, you know, yeah. it's, like, Ugh. it's just, yeah, Ugh. it's bad, you know, yeah. and these guys are stronger and faster, you know, and so it's going to, it's got to be even worse, you know, right. Again, La Liga has to do something for this. I don't think they have to do something so drastic like the NFL does, but obviously they got to take care of their players. Right. And they need something formal in place. So that people know, you know, what the protocols are and they need to just follow them. And also I should say, um, when I was mentioning the Premier League, I don't know if they have any concussion protocols at all. I don't, and if they do, I don't know what they are. So I wasn't trying to imply that they're necessarily ahead on that particular thing. But I was just pointing out how La Liga just seems to be behind in in certain aspects of how the league is run and how it's marketed and that sort of thing. That whereas the Premier League is like a little bit more successful in certain ways. But I, I do want to end this conversation by talking about the the equalizing goal from Messi in the 64th minute because this goal was so fun to watch. Uh, Suarez drives into the box. He gets shut down. The ball gets deflected to Vidal. He touches it back to Messi. And then Messi somehow, he's like right in line with uh, the goalpost. And he curves it around two Valencia defenders. And Neto didn't even know what was coming because he was blinded. And in, and Messi makes it 2-2. Yeah, it was a really great goal, especially the way he curved it around, essentially, because Neto didn't see it, and all of a sudden he just looks, and it's in the back of the net. And for me, the the emotion that Messi showed on that goal was everything I needed to know about whether he's a good captain or not, you know, because this match, we were so lucky, Brian, to get points from this match, especially going down 2-0. That was huge. Yeah, it was very big. And I... Even around the 73rd minute, I really felt like, you know, we could still get this back. Uh, we could still win this. And, you know, we just couldn't quite find the winner. But you still have to be really thankful to have that little genius from Argentina <laughs> to equalize. And like you said, you know, he's really been coming up as a captain, not just leading by example in his own play, but by getting the team fired up in in the way that he can. He's you know he's still not he's still not a Puyol, but he's definitely leading the team, and you can tell. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, you brought up the point of when Ter Stegen made that save to stop it from being three to one. That was crucial, right? Because it still kept us in the game. Then obviously Messi tying it. And I was happy to escape with the points, especially how well Valencia were playing throughout the whole match. I mean, they had still had some counter opportunities that still put us on edge, especially Rodrigo, man. He played out of his mind last night. He was he looked like the number nine for Spain that we saw last season, you know? So that was really good to see. I mean, as a football fan, I really like to see him come back because this season hasn't been his best. But unfortunately, I do not like to see that against Barcelona. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean, he, but, he uh, was, I mean, he was yeah. just using Vermaelen on that on that. Oh, one my God. Play, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, just the touch and the speed that he has with the movement was just awesome. But uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up before we end this discussion was I thought Alenia had a really good performance yes. as well. Um, I, you know, as we talked about the attacking midfield role. You know, I like Arthur in that role. And I think Alenia is going to fit really well with that because you can see the connection, obviously having the La Masia background, which is you know great because that just makes it even easier to integrate in the team. And, you know, he unfortunately didn't have um, to get to play the whole match, but I think he did provide a spark and also those young legs, man. Having him to be able to take someone one-on-one in confidence, he had a couple times where, I think two times where he got fouled outside the box to give Messi an opportunity for free kicks as well. Yeah, and just like you mentioned, he's quick. He's one year younger than Arthur, but man, just he was making some runs. And he's got a lot of energy, right? Because he's so so youthful. But man, he was just darting all over the place. And I thought that he hasn't played a ton uh, this year. He's had one other match where he played a full ninety, and I think maybe one other as, apart from that where he started. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but the numbers are low. And there was something about this match from the very beginning. He looked probably the most like he belonged in the starting eleven that I've ever seen from him. Yeah. And it's also the other thing too. He's not, not physical. I don't know if that makes sense. Like he's also kind of a physical presence out there where when I see Artur out there, he kind of looks smaller, you know, like the Javi role, but Alenia for some reason just looks a little bit more physical imposing, especially coming down on attack. So I really like that. I hope he gets some more minutes, especially in this month, because we're going to need it. We are definitely going to need it. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. And I think the distinction is that Arthur is willing to take a beating in order to maintain the ball, which is great. But Alenia will actually bring you a little bit of a beating. <laughs> like he'll get in your yeah. face, whereas Arthur yeah, will put yeah. his back to you and just protect the ball. And they're both effective, but you're right. Alenia is, I think he's been bulking up a little bit more. So he's yeah. becoming more physical and he's a little bit taller. And uh, yeah, maybe he's got, uh, he's just got a little bit more of that in your faceness. Yeah, yeah. No, but I was really pleased with his performance because I, I, you know, hopefully he'll get the minutes because his depth is crucial. Because as we said in the, uh, is it the, the Copa del Rey match, the, the first one where we had, I think, Vidal, Rakitic, and Busquets, maybe. Mm-hmm. I think that's what the, where we didn't have that attacking midfielder and just putting Alenia there makes a big difference because then he, again, it's really important sometimes to have someone to be able to take someone one on one to have that kind of scariness. You know, when you're when you're defending and if you don't have it, it's much easier to defend. And again, I was really pleased with his performance for sure. Yeah, I can't wait to see him start more. Mm-hmm. 
special thanks to Michelle Taylor this week. This has been a production of Barca Talk, written by Gabriel Quiroga and Brian Henderson, editing and music by Brian Henderson, social media and promotion by Gabriel Quiroga. We can't make this show without you, the listeners. To see the premiums you get with a monthly contribution of support, follow the link to Patreon in the episode description. Visca Barca! Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.